Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. Also here, John Taylor from New York City, Fangraphs.com's own John Taylor. John, did you see that uh, what we do in the shadows is concluding after next season? I did. Uh, is this a safe space to admit I didn't actually finish the fifth season? Uh, it is. safe in general but also safe because my wife and i just started season five uh this week okay yeah i I don't and for what it's worth um i've enjoyed what i've watched i just for whatever reason got sidetracked like halfway through the season Mm. and just didn't pick it back up you know just it's one of those i feel like that happens that is a common thing with tv now where you just kind of things just fall by the wayside because there's there's so much of it to consume and there's only so much time in the day so well it's also you just can watch it whenever like you have it just there it's not appointment viewing right like yeah you kind of had to with game of thrones even uh house of the dragon like you just have to because you know it's gonna get spoiled for you the next day so you're like i'm i know what i'm doing i'm going to be by my tv on sunday evening because this is or succession there's some shows still like that but um yeah, it's just the the nature of the beast where what we do in the shadows, you're like, I'll I'll hit that one weekend. Like you it's just a, yeah. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good binge show too, I think, mm-hmm. where you, you just kinda wanna save them up so you can get a steady, like, I'm gonna give myself an hour and a half worth of silly nonsense. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I need to I need to pick up what I left. But yes, I saw season six of the last. I'm generally of the belief that um obviously like a, a, as with as with guests at a party, never shows should never overstay their welcome. Um, I think this premise could probably go on forever, but I, I, you know, I I think it's a, if the creative team feels like they've reached a point where it's like, you know what, we've got no more story left. We've told the jokes we want to tell and now we're out that that works too. You know, we'll always have the six incredibly funny seasons that show or the five seasons it's already produced. The sixth, I'm sure will be great too. 
Um, it's 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 a bummer, but at the same time, it's also I'd I'd rather it go before you know it it turns into something I no longer want to watch. You know, before it goes full Archer essentially. Or oh, look, I love Always Sunny, and old Always Sunny is some of the funniest television I've ever seen. But you know, it's not a lot of bangers anymore. Like there, no. it's fine, but it's not. Like I, it's okay. It's a, it's just they're out. Like it's just we're at like fifteen, sixteen seasons. It's just, it's kind of wild. It's it. I, I'm always gonna watch them, and it's like if what we do in the shadows did ten years, I would still find my way. My wife and I would still find a way to jump in there and binge them at some point, but and enjoy them. Yeah. But like you said, you just. It's okay. Six years is a good run for this. It's show. a great run for for TV nowadays, and especially considering the the contraction you're seeing in TV. With you know, there there are more shows, but there seem to be fewer seasons and fewer episodes, and and, and all mm. that. It's yeah, six seasons for a very very niche comedy. Uh, yes. In terms of the the material they're working with, is is great. So, um, I will I will deeply miss. I also I just more than anything hope though that this isn't the end of Matt Berry as a. Mm. regular presence in on tv in some form or another we 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 need more matt berry just replace replace like kevin costner's not on yellowstone anymore replace him with matt berry there i have solved this problem or my favorite comedy on television right now that i'm excited for i hope the new season's back next year or i hope it doesn't we don't have to wait another full calendar year righteous gemstones like find him a character uh, that would be lovely. I, I think he would. I think he would fit very nicely in with that world. I, th- yeah. I thought you were going to say the British spy show Slow Horses. Find Matt Berry a role on that, and I was like, yeah, make Matt, make Matt Berry the prime minister on that show. What do I care? I've heard it's good. I've heard it's that great. one's if, very good. So you're watching you're it? Into, yes, if you're into uh, spy thrillers, yeah, uh, love it, Luther. Yeah, it's it's in, it's in a similar vein where it's you know the it's it's about a group of mi5 rejects rejects essentially who are in their mm. own kind of administrative purgatory but they're led by a uh washed up yet still brilliant uh former intelligence agent played delightfully by gary oldman it's a very mm-hmm. funny show but it's also very well plotted very well paced it's just a good if you like spy shows if you like british uh television it's it's an expert it's expert at both check it out it's on apple tv i think mm-hmm. uh yeah apple tv so Brits that's, do it well, man. Also, right I've had Bosch Legacy. Like the, the one of the oldest dad me being washed parts of me is that I all about Bosch. Love Bosch and Bosch Legacy is Look, uh, good. Around the country, dads, as families gather for the holidays, mm-hmm. will be will be cocooning themselves in the biggest chair they can find to watch uh, either the new season of Reacher, which mm. is just real dad catnip, mm-hmm. or like you said, queue up uh, queue up some Bosch Legacy, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, see if Master and Commander happens to be on cable somewhere. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe get wild and break out the Godfather uh, DVD set. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife hasn't no seen telling. any of those, and she's mentioned like wanting to watch it. I'm, I'm never in the mood. I'm like, you don't understand because you've never seen it. But I don't really want to like a Saturday morning four hours with the Godfather. Like, I really well, got to be in the mood. Honestly, that sounds like a great way to start a Saturday morning is you wake up, mm. you stretch, and then you immediately go sit on the couch for three and a half hours to yeah. watch a sprawling, uh, tragic crime epic. Um, I, I think that, I think that's great. Can you tell that there's not a lot that's happened in baseball recently? <laughs> because this is, we're like six minutes in and we're just kind of like riffing about TV. Look, um, everyone loves a good riff. And we're riffing because, look, man, it's a it's quiet time now. Too. We're all waiting yeah. on Yamamoto and what he's going to do. We are indeed. 
uh, it is kind of funny though wasn't tweet. the scuttlebutt like once otani signed that's when there's going to be like an avalanche after and it really, really? hasn't been that way I, yeah, and some of that I think is that ultimately the hitter part of the free agent market beyond him there just isn't that much. What he wasn't really holding anything up there. Mm. Uh, the other thing being, it became pretty pretty clear that there were only a couple of teams really ever in on him. Mm. The rest of the league just seems to be kind of weighing. I think, and I thought the I thought both Soto being traded and Otani being signed uh, would open the floodgates a little more. Maybe that'll be the case if Yamamoto signs. But I think at this point, there are just... It, there's not going to be that rush. For whatever reason, mm -hmm. I think, you know, you've there's only... Once Yamamoto signs, and I, I think the assumption is he'll sign within the next uh, week or so, at some point between now and, and either the beginning of the year or the first week of the year, of the new year, rather. But, you know, beyond that, you've got Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger as your last two, I think, guys who have a realistic chance of cracking $200 million. I think Jordan Montgomery will end up somewhere north of $100 million. I think Matt Chapman might get there, might squeak past it. It just depends on on who's really involved in the bidding there. Uh, Shoto Imanaga, the other Japanese pitcher on the on the market, I think will probably get close to $100 million. But they're, they're just, the, the rest of free agency just doesn't seem to be that appealing, it seems. And I think, mm -hmm. um, in particular, like I said, the, the free agent hitting class this year is not a strong one. Um, I, I don't see it doesn't seem like there are a lot of teams eagerly making moves in that direction. I mean, beyond Bellinger and Chapman, who who is the best hitter available in free agency right now? As it, I, I think it might be Mitch Garver. And I'm only I was gonna like, say now I got to pull this up because I'm like, I feel like it's a it, very low list. It's not it's not great right now. I mean, you look at our at our beginning of the offseason uh, top 50. Um, which I, I'll note the top 10 of that is a lot of pitchers. We have our, our top unsigned free agent, obviously, is Yamamoto at two, then Bellinger at three, uh, Snell at five, Jordan Montgomery at six, Matt Chapman at seven, um, and then it, and then it's all, and then Ed, uh, Josh Hader at 10. And I think Hader might be a guy who waits a bit too, because uh, there mm -hmm. just doesn't seem to be an immediate destination for him. I still think at the end of the day, Dombrowski says screw it and signs him to something. Just to say, you know, we're, we've got it all locked up now at this point. But once you get past Chapman, Heimer Candelario has already signed. Jung-Ho Lee signed with the Giants last week. Lords Gurriel re-signed in Arizona. Uh, it, it probably is your choice of Mitch Garver or Kevin Kiermeyer, depending where you're at. Or maybe Jorge Soler or Reese Hoskins. And those guys are all we've got. And, and this, again, should probably tell you, like, again, Tim Anderson signed? I don't think Tim Anderson made our top 50 for what it's worth. But to give you an idea, the, again, the balance of this of this offseason really has been pitching-oriented in free agency. Mm -hmm. our, our best unsigned hitter after the combo of Bellinger and Chapman is Mitch Garver at 17, then Kevin Kiermaier at 18, Jorge Soler at 19, Reese Hoskins at 20, Teoscar Hernandez at 21. I think, if, and you've probably seen a pattern, this is all guys, once you get outside the top 15 of this list, it, it, it starts to kind of blend together a little. Again, you've already got Harrison Bader at 23. We're already like Harrison Bader is already like the halfway point. Everyone mm -hmm. below him is ostensibly worse in some capacity. You know, JD Martinez at 27, uh, Brandon Belt at 29, Adam Duvall at 30. And these are also not guys who are going to be sent lineup centerpieces or really missing parts. You know, it, in that case, it's just Bellinger and depending on who has third base needs, Chapman, because I don't think you can really argue that Garver is a full-time catcher anymore. I think that's more of a mm -hmm. right-handed DH bat who can catch maybe once or twice a week. 
uh, if you want to keep him healthy. Otherwise, you know, if you're signing Kiermaier, it's for his glove. If you're signing Solaire, it's purely for his bat. You're, you're looking for a DH corner outfielder guy. Same with Reese Hoskins, except down at first base. These are more complementary pieces. And I think in the case of guys like Hoskins or like, uh, or like Teoscar Hernandez, you're also, you know, those are guys who are going to be looking for bounce back type, type contracts and deals where they can maybe, I mean, maybe for a guy like Hernandez or Hoskins, both it's a one year pillow contract somewhere to kind of let them get a good season in and uh, reset their floor and then try again next winter. But yeah, I, I guess that's the thing with, Oh, oh you know, it'd be one thing I think if there were really a, a huge crop of hitters behind Otani, but that signing didn't really move the needle. And again, it really became clear, especially with the way the con- that contract ended up, $700 million, even with like close to 40% of it deferred, there are very few teams beyond the Dodgers who could have, maybe, who could have afforded something like that. The Mets, maybe the Yankees, uh, you could probably argue the Cubs or uh, the Giants say they were in it, but, you know, that's, who knows. You know, that, that, that's, that was never a signing, it seems like in retrospect, it feels like in retrospect that was going to move anything because it was always going to be a very small group of bidders. Um, and the guys waiting, the other hitters waiting to sign, uh, you know, Otani's not, none of them were going to be blocked by Otani. So to speak. Mm. It's, not, it's not as if the losing team, you know, it's not as if the Mets having lost out on Shohei Otani if they were in the bidding at all, or the Blue Jays, for example, are going to go, okay, well, I guess, well, might as well pivot to Mitch Garver. You know, that, that's mm. not really... Mitch Garber is not a pivot. He's just, well, that's where we ended up. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I you know, it's, we, it, but it is the holidays. We are in the quiet part of the season. There is, or the off season. There is not that much to talk about right now, now that Otani is signed, now that Soto has been traded and given that we're still waiting on Yamamoto and what he could do. So I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. It's nice to have a holiday where you can, you know, not have to have John Heyman on a push notification status. That's, that's great. I, I don't need Heyman's tweets in my day all the time. No, no, it's okay. It's a little bit of a break here. And for that reason, John, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Two-parter. Your favorite signing this winter and your least favorite at the present moment for you, sir? Favorite? I mean, it's it's funny with favorite. Like, my my default is to say Otani because he's just great. And it's anytime you can sign Shohei Otani, you should sign Shohei Otani. Um. I, I think I, like leaving I, in in kind of the same way he was the number one free agent though I feel like I have to put that one aside as the number one signing because again like yeah because he's the best like the mm-hmm. team that ended up with Otani in this case the Dodgers made the best signing of the offseason because they signed Shohei Otani so with that disclaimer out of the way hmm. I think it might be and then you know the, the pickings are kind of slim so far. I like St. Louis getting Sonny Gray. I don't know that he fixes fully what the Cardinals need, which is to say an, uh, more top end, more uh, options at the top end of the rotation. But I think he's a very solid number two, number three guy for a team that uh, you know very much needs the pitching help. I I like the Phillies re-signing Nola. I don't love the money, but I think that was a move they had to make um, in order to keep their it, it, they had to keep that core together. You know, for another playoff run, he perfectly fits. The structure of that roster as it exists. Also, it keeps um, him away from Atlanta. Kid, keeps him away from Atlanta. That's true. There was the, the double benefit of that. Um, beyond that, I mean, I I kind of like what Kansas City is doing. Not in that I think it's going to make any kind of realistic difference in terms of, you know, they're not an AL Central contender. But they mm. seem at least to have realized that they needed way more pitching and not just pitching, but they needed 
at least acceptable pitching because the pitching development in that franchise just has not worked for years. So in that sense, signing Seth Lugo and Michael Walker to very reasonable deals, I feel like makes sense. Similarly with Craig, with Chris Stratton and Will Smith uh, in the bullpen to give them some, uh, you know, a, a somewhat higher floor, I think, than they did last year. I feel bad for Smith. This is, unless he gets traded to the deadline, this is going to break his World Series, uh, consecutive World Series one streak at three, although who knows, maybe. We'll see. I think that'll be that'll be the true marker of who the who the next te- team to win the World Series is. Where does mm-hmm. Will Smith get traded next summer, if and when that happens? It's a great bit, but also, John, you talked it out, but you didn't give me one. You talked it out. You we got I, it all I, out. We got all your favorites. So we have a little. We have a group now to talk to parse through of that group. Who it's still it? Otani. Is it still Otani? It's Otani because again, if if you're the team that signed Shohei Otani, you did the best in the offseason because now mm-hmm. Shohei Otani is on your team. To to say nothing also of the fact that even though it's a again seven hundred million dollar contract with all the deferrals and all the money that's going to be pushed out to being paid like fifty years from now, you know the Dodgers are getting him at an incredibly reasonable rate. That was a large part of also why they were able to get Tyler Glasnow from the Rays and then give him a big extension as well mm-hmm. to keep him in the rotation for an extended period of time. Otani helps you in every way imaginable as a player, not just on the field, but also in the in the somehow on the payroll um, of the non Otani division. It's probably Nola so far again, because that's just it, it less about because I think it was ooh clever or, oh, I really like that signing in, in a vacuum. I think purely in the context of where the Phillies are and what the Phillies are doing, I think that's probably the other best signing of the offseason so far. As I for don't the, disagree. Yeah, but yeah. You know what's funny? I, John, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm reading because there's there were a lot of takes about Otani signing, mm-hmm. and obviously we were there were there were many Otani takes um, when a lot of this was happening. But the, I read a really good piece on CBS Sports from Dame Perry, mm-hmm. um, outlining like where, and I thought it was a really smart piece because it kind of flipped the Otani conversation on its head. I don't know if you read it um, last week, but I thought it was fascinating because. He looked at it as like the because everyone's talking about if it's bad for baseball, this, that, mm-hmm. and the other, and the contract. The what what he found, um, okay. while also explaining the contract stuff, which again I feel so dumb. I just want to be like, <laughs> explain this to me like I'm five. The AAV is going to be th- what? Okay, and now he's going to be owed. Okay, and then why is this not okay? And, and I'm like, all right, let's. Do- <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's never it's probably not a good sign that in order to understand the Otani contract fully, mm-hmm. it'd be ideal if you had training in high grade in high level finance to some degree. Right. Like, I mean, there are people work- commenting like, "Is this money laundering?" And then there are yeah. other people like, "Obviously, <laughs> this is money laundering." And then you have it, other people it, like, "It's not, uh, and it is." That's kind yeah. of the thing. <laughs> so um, the, it's just you just look at all of it, and I'm like, man, I have no idea what to make of it. But a lot of people are sure of some really varying degrees of what this actually is. But what he found, and I think you and I kind of speaks to uh, the ethos of our podcast, which is that, hey, um, other teams could have done this. And this yes. over inflection on what the Dodgers did was, hey, in the end, like they still signed Otani. They are a good baseball team that signed the best player available and are spending money. Now, whether or not you agree when they spend the money in the AAV and all that kind of stuff, it's the Orioles. That should be like, is this ruining baseball? Because the take is like, uh, of a lot of people, like the Dodgers are ruining baseball trading for Glasnow, signing Otani, this, that, and the other. But I thought it was smart to just be like, hey, um, 
The Orioles had the lowest payroll, or right there, uh, the lowest payroll, and they had the best team in the AL East this past year. They yeah, haven't it, done a dang thing this no, winter. They've signed Craig Kimbrell. That's the only thing Fine. they've done for him. But you just won the AL East. You have a great young core. How are you not... Like, that's more of a, like an indictment on baseball. It's like, why are you not spending more with this window opening up uh, and I, and so I, quickly and... in Baltimore? And I agree with that. It, it's worth noting, I think, a, a couple things, particularly with the Orioles. Um, in terms of guaranteed money that they have on the books right now, mm. um, $37 million in guaranteed salary. Per, we had a debate over this. Spot track, spot rack, spot I really track. am. I say spot track in my head. Yeah, and that's I, how I, I know about it. Spot rack. Spot, um, I'm okay with spot rack. Their, their estimation for the Orioles payroll, if it stays as is, including arbitration awards, uh, pre-arb money, um, a few other estimated taxings, $107 million. Mm. That is $130 million, almost exactly below the competitive balance tax threshold. Mm. They could have signed Otani to a $100 million a year contract, and it still would not have put them even... At the doorstep of the of the competitive of the luxury tax threshold or, or mm-hmm. competitive balance, whatever the league, however the league wants to launder that one. So I, I agree with you there that, you know, is there something that feels untoward about the Dodgers going, hey, we can afford to give a guy seven hundred million dollars and we're going to do some crazy tax accounting. I mean, it's not really accounting. It's it's literally just agreeing to pay out stuff later. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and we're also going to structure it so that we don't have to pay the full weight for for as for as long as he's on the team, and that works because he also doesn't really. He, I mean, the man likes money, but he also doesn't need. He, he can live on forty six million as opposed mm-hmm. to seventy million dollars a year, as I think most of us could. You know, does that feel untoward? Sure. Does it? You know, is it kind of in line with what we've come to feel about the Dodgers, I think, is the the 21st century Yankees in that regard, or just throwing them throwing them the financial advantage around and making and making use of it? Sure. But again, like you said, other teams have this opportunity too. The mm-hmm. Orioles, again, without without going into the specifics of what precisely John Angelos can afford in terms of, you know, his own personal pocket. Again, this team is still even if they had not signed Otani, it's still $120 million away from the luxury tax threshold. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other entire Orioles roster, and they'd still be a little shy after that. They had the financial flexibility to make this work. More yep. or less, every team in baseball, with the exception of the A's and you know the usual, uh, usual sad sack, no-spending losers club, mm-hmm. all of them had the opportunity to do this. The Red Sox have the money. The Mets mm-hmm. have the money. The Yankees have the money. The Braves have the money. You know, The, the Phillies have the money. All of them could have made this happen and they did not and Mm -hmm. some of that you know beyond the finances i know some of that speaks to you know otani himself essentially picked the dodgers by going this is a team built to win now and in the future and i am most set up for both current and future success if i pick this team and he's correct in that and that's why Mm -hmm. ultimately i had always figured he that's where he's going to end up because that is the team that will that will meet the the criteria he needs in order to the criteria he wants which is to say successful team now successful team in the future filthy rich so that they can go out and get more uh get more help if they need more help but that was that is can also be said about other teams not maybe to the degree of the dodgers but they also could have been part of this so i don't know i i the the otani stuff is interesting i think in how much it exposes that other teams 
for other teams, it, it, the money still does play an enormous factor, even if it is the literal best player on the planet who is available. And even if you kind of get a lot of that money pushed out into the future, interest-free too, I should know. Mm-hmm. This is an interest-free deferral. So the Dodgers are going to be paying 2023 money in 2064, whatever it happens to be, which will be an enormous savings on their part. Um, yeah, I, I it, it makes sense where I ended up. It, it is just kind of a frustrating indicator, though, of, of the fact that other teams are just not, you know, there there has to be a willingness, I think, to be a part of that conversation. It became apparent, I think, pretty quickly that most teams were not there. And I think some of those teams, you know, with the case of like, I think, the Red Sox, for example, you know, they could have afforded it, but I also don't really get the sense Otani had any real interest in Boston for other reasons. Mm. You know, so maybe they already understood early on. You know what? There's no real part. There's no real point in being part of this chase. We are not a, a serious suitor. We'll we'll save our money and go spend it elsewhere. But you know, I do find it interesting. I think that the Blue Jays, who who you know, based on the fact that they were part of this conversation all the way to the end, seemingly would theoretically have been on board for such a contract, and since then they've done just about nothing. You know, it's it, it's a little confusing, I think, the way everything is played out post Otani in terms of, you know, if you were saving that money for him, well, now you're free to spend it elsewhere. And so far, nobody has spent anything. And like I said, again, some of that is just the level of hitter available in free agency is not very good. But it does you seem can make like... trades like the Orioles have the re- have I mean, the and that's, farm and system that's... to make trades. And that's what the Yankees did, too. You yeah, know, that, that's what that was. You know, they. I think probably learned relatively, I mean, given that they traded for Soto before Otani signed, they clearly understood pretty early in the process. We're not a realistic competitor for Otani. We need to pivot our, our attention elsewhere. And in doing so, they got, a you know, one of the five to eight best hitters in baseball for at least the next year at a, at a relatively affordable cost. But um, yeah, it, it's, you know, any any team would have been improved by Shohei Otani. I understand why it was the Dodgers who did it. I understand that there is a what feels like a degree of unfairness to, well, no, not a whole lot of other teams can hand out $700 million in guaranteed money, even if you defer some of it into the next ice age. But it, it's still, you know, the opportunity was still there, and it's just strange to see that there is no real kind of fur about it. I feel the same way when, yeah. when I felt the same way when Harper and Machado were free agents, and it took Granted, that was a, somewhat of a different structure, and it took much longer for them to sign. But again, it's like all you've got to do to get this guy is give up three hundred million dollars for baseball mm-hmm. teams. That is for pretty much every team. That is not a significant amount of money. Yeah. You know? But but yeah, still, still, my still, I think the best move. And in terms of worst, I don't know if I have a worse move so far. I think I have a few moves that confuse me. Um, Heimer Candelario to the Reds. I think he's a good bat. I don't really get what the setup is there they have like nine infielders now <laughs> I, I i don't really fully understand that one um i thought um i, I you know i guess before sunny gray I was kind of confused that the cardinals only like only seem to be in interested in the kyle's gibson and lance's lynn of the world but um, it kind of reminded me of the approach the mets just had where the mets went super i mean obviously they went uh scorched earth with a super old rotation yeah, but like that kind of, hey, we're going to bet on the vets and we're going to ride the vet starting pitching arms. And it's like, are you sure that's what you want to do? Is that yeah, are you sure I, that's going to work? I mean, if I'm St. Louis, I think for as much as I do like what they got in gray, I, I wonder if you're better off aiming for the top, like the higher end of the market with Snell. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to spend, at least make it worth your while. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, but I, I don't really I don't really think there, there's been anything in the way of bad signing so far. I think if anything... What I feel like is there are teams, like you said, Baltimore, 
his only real notable signing has been Craig Kimbrell or, um, you know, the, the Blue Jays like who have noted have not really done anything of note yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are a few teams I think we're still waiting to see, well, what are you going to do with your off season? Because we're already about to hit the new, we're, we're about to hit Christmas. The new Year's right behind it. You know, spring training's here before you know it. Mm-hmm. And then I think similarly, while I like, um, I think there are things to like about, say, like, again, Heimer Candelario, Nick Martinez, and Emilio Pagan. I, I don't know that that's the best, ex- those are the best expenditures for the Reds. A swingman, a homer-prone middle reliever, and an infielder when you already have seven of them who all need playing time, and can you, you, know, you, you don't have the outfielder DH space necess- necessarily to accommodate them all. I, mm-hmm. I think it's been a little bit of a weird offseason there that seems to be more focused on value than on just addressing the biggest issues again, which is to say like, we need more pitching and better than Nick Martinez. You know, that's a team where I'm, con- where I'm kind of confused. Like, why aren't you in on Seth Lugo? Why aren't you mm-hmm. in on Eduardo Rodriguez? Why aren't you in again on Sonny Gray? You know, why aren't you trying to bring Sonny Gray back? You know, that feels like a more appropriate or, or a Marcus Stroman, something, someone like that to kind of, um, to, to bring some level of higher floor to a pitching staff that really needs it. Or similarly, you know, why aren't you guys the like loudly going after Josh Hader? Uh, or maybe not Josh Hader because Rysel Iglesias is very good too. Mm. But, you know, something along those lines, something more in the star level as opposed to the kind of around the edges stuff where it's like Cincinnati is one of those teams, I think, close enough to that precipice of we can be a real contender that I think adding those kinds of guys a step above like Candelario and and Martinez and uh, and Pagan that I, I you know I, I'm a little I'm a little confused as to their direction so far this offseason. I would agree with that. Um, I also don't know who I like before we get into our preseason one next year. I am look. I'm not going to say the word fascinated by the NL Central because that seems a no, little. No, the the NL Central is fascinating in the same way like a car crash is fascinating. Right. We're like the Pirates got off to a great start last year, John. Mm-hmm. They might be better. There's some pieces. We'll see where they're at. But like, it, it, the Pirates are so low on star. Like actual stars is a good is a good part of right. the problem. But but a- anyway, I just they're like the cards could be good. The Reds could be good. The Cubs should be good. And the Brewers, like we've made a lot of jokes, they're going the wrong way. But I don't know if that's going to be a major drop next year. We're not going to see this drastic fall off from Milwaukee. So. I'm just very curious how the NL Central shakes out because I think it's kind of um, kind of really up in the air between four teams, and then we'll see if the how much of a jump the Pirates could make next year. But like, I don't know. The, not to say that it's appetizing that I'm die I'm I'm dying uh, for my NL Central fix uh, in mid June mm-hmm. of 2024, John. But I will say, I really don't have a good feel for who I think is going to end up winning this division going into next year. No, it's it's pretty much first. It, it, the NL Central is going to have a uh, first team to eighty-five wins rule. Like you know, <laughs> whoever whoever gets there first, however long it takes, that's who wins the Central. And that's why I think, again, why when I look at Cincinnati, I feel like there is a real opportunity there because the Cardinals have added some pitching, but I think the the and I think I've raised their floor a bit. But I you know that was a really bad team last year, and while it should be a better one this year, you know it's not like they've established themselves as a ninety-five win juggernaut over the course of the offseason. Like you said, Milwaukee has mostly been doing. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Milwaukee stuff where they just try to make themselves cheaper while not while not uh, significantly lowering their their performance floor. Uh, mm-hmm. The Cubs, the Cubs, another team where I think we're just kind of waiting to see. I don't know how much of that is, you know, if they're engaged with Bellinger and they're trying to bring him back, but kind of waiting to see Cubs wise, you know, what is their plan? You know, they're not doesn't seem like they're in on Yamamoto. That doesn't seem like they were ever in on Otani. Uh, you know, it, maybe maybe they're looking at a guy like Blake Snell. Who knows? But you know, another team, central team that's had a very quiet offseason. I mean, Pittsburgh, I, I don't think I was ever really going to, you know, I think it, a world where the Pittsburgh wins the NL Central is one where all the other NL Central teams have just completely collapsed in the process, which is to say nothing necessarily bad about Pittsburgh, but more that the other teams are just better all the way around. So again, I, I, I do find it a little strange that, you know, Cincinnati and the Cubs in particular are not taking advantage, and especially the Cubs, given what they paid to get Craig Council now to be their manager, are not doing a little more to put themselves ahead of the pack instead of just kind of sitting back and going again. Whoever gets to 85 first, that's who wins the division. Isn't it kind of weird? There was so much, like, just positivity and uh, intrigue with uh, with the Cubbies, with the Craig Council um, thievery from Milwaukee, but it's really just been business as usual, what we saw from how this uh, Jed Hoyer uh, operation has really run post Epstein. I haven't seen a huge shift, and you're kind of running out of time here to really make sure that you go into 2024 the clear cut leaders of <coughs> the NL Central and I just I don't know I, I'm kind of kind of surprised at how this has unfolded for the Cubbies in the last couple weeks yeah and and I like I said I, I don't know how much of this is you know maybe they're just working with Bellinger and that and they've just identified that as their big move but I do find it interesting that neither Otani nor Yamamoto seem to have been uh well Yamamoto doesn't seem to have been a target I know yeah. they were involved in Otani but he doesn't that doesn't seem to have been a serious uh, discussion there so i mean even blake snell we'll like makes sense like there's some guys where you're like i'm just surprised just go after good like juan soto trade like I, maybe not you do it but i don't know i'm just surprised they're not popping up in more uh hot stove action uh for the cubbies but we shall see uh john taylor uh new segment stick poke okay. poking of the stick we're gonna poke someone or we're gonna poke someone with a stick Oh, like a like meme where it's like the, the mm. cartoon, but like, come yes. on, do something. Okay. Yes. God, I sounded old just now. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's keep going. A metaphoric. The, it's as the, the, the meme. The meme. John Taylor. The stick poke meme. Um, what could the Rockies do this winter? And if you're the GM, and look, I don't want to put you in that spot where you're the general manager of the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, why would John you Taylor. wish such an awful thing upon me? 
look, it's a thought exercise. It's like I said, a safe space. I'm not actually putting you in charge of the Colorado Rockies. I would never, well, ever I put that on your plate. I appreciate your kindness. But in this conversation, if you were, because they really haven't done anything, they're clearly the worst team in the NL West. What else is new? But like, what would you do? Like, what could the Rockies have done to make this a less depressing offseason and also a realistic one? I like how we're speaking as if the offseason's already over for the Rockies because we all kind of know. I was going to say, we know the offseason. They're not actually going to do anything. Like, what are they going to do? Sign Josh Hader? No. Well, actually, I hadn't realized they re-signed Charlie Blackman at some point this winter. Did they really? Yeah. I, I was When I was looking at our, our free agent tracker on Fangraphs, I saw Charlie Blackman one year, $13 million with the Rockies, and I was kind of like, when? How? Why? Hmm. I went through all the various journal, the five, the, the journalistic five questions. Um, hmm. Okay. So first of all, there, I would not have some re-signed Charlie Blackman, but whatever, that's clearly just a, a sentimental thing because mm. this team is, 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 is more just the, the vibes of like a, a bad Hallmark movie just surround this team. Well, they also probably were surprised that he wanted to stay. Like, yeah. I was like, he... really? You want to keep doing this? You, all sure? right. <laughs> you know, we're going to win like 70 games next year. Right. Mm. And he's like, honestly, it's a beautiful park love living in denver um just i go skiing snowboarding like i'm no i'm good i mean so assuming that you know because it's it's one thing when you do these exercises be like well if i were the gm of the colorado rockies the first thing i would have done is sign shohei otani but that's that that's not realistic i feel like um i think it's tricky because there you know you look at this roster right now and you look at where the problem spots or what feel like the problem spots i think Mm. You know, in terms of production, they got very little last year at shortstop. But that's, you know, Ezekiel Tovar was one of their top prospects. I think you want to give him some some time and space to run. Similarly with Nolan Jones, who they got from the, from Cleveland and who was very good for them last year. You want to give him space to, to see what's there. I think Brenton Doyle is probably never going to be an adequate hitter, but he has a phenomenal defensive center fielder. I think you can live with that for a little bit. Um, I, I think it's more... If you're looking at the Rockies and if you're kind of assuming, okay, we're stuck with Chris Bryant, we're stuck with Ryan McMahon, you know, we're we're okay with Brendan Rodgers. And truthfully, I don't actually know that there's a better second baseman available in free. And I'm just going to look at this from a free agency standpoint because I don't, I don't, you know, trade-wise, I, I, I don't really know what would make the most sense for the Rockies. But I feel like you're probably here looking for a good corner outfield bat, ideally one. Uh, from the left side who can play a little first base, who can also fill the DH spot so you're not starting Charlie Blackman every day. Um, you're looking at the guys who are... I mean, I think, honestly, uh, if, if Doyle were already there, I'd say Cody Bellinger because of the defense he can play in center, but sticking him in an outfield corner is kind of a waste. Um, you could, to a certain degree, say fuck it and just go with Jorge Soler and just light up the fireworks factory. I think that's probably a you viable option. fun in um, Colorado. Similarly, you could, I think, I, I think more than anything, I would be going to guys like Teoscar Hernandez hmm. and being like, you want a real one year pillow contract? Like, come hmm. launch balls at Coors for half a season. You know, all you got, you don't have to be a good outfielder. We don't care if you're a good outfielder. You can just come here and rake. Um, you know, I think a guy like that would be a, an interesting target. I think, and it depends on how much you could catch. I would, you know, Mitch Garver is a guy who would make a lot of sense there. Gary Sanchez. I, and if I'm the Rockies GM, I think hitting wise, I'm just going for the dudes who hit bombs, essentially, regardless of their defensive value for the most part, who can stand in a corner spot or ideally catch at least a few times a week and, and make it work from there. You know, and otherwise, I'm keeping an eye on my minor leagues and, and cycling through the young guys that I can. From a pitching standpoint, understanding that nothing functions in Coors Field, 
you know, I don't know that necessarily going after like Blake Snell or, or, or Jordan Montgomery necessarily makes a lot of sense. I'd be really curious to see, um, you know, if you want to try to operate from, well, let's get guys who keep the ball on the ground. Marcus Stroman is obviously the ideal candidate in that category. Um, I'm not sure how good a fit he would be in Colorado. I have no idea if he'd even really be interested, but that's a possibility. Uh, if the Royals hadn't grabbed him, Michael Walker, I think would have been an interesting option, although he also might have given up 900 home runs in cores next year. Um, similarly, I think now he's, at, you know, he's already on the Reds. I think, he- well, this is on back on the hitting side. I think Heimer, Heimer Candelario also would have been a nice uh, potential addition for the Rockies as well. It- it's just tough though. And I think if you're, I think if you're the Rockies or if I were in charge of the Rockies and you said you get to make one big marquee splash signing, as dumb as it might sound, uh, it's probably Josh Hader. Yeah. Because that bullpen is horrible. And granted, it doesn't really make sense because signing a really, really good closer for a team that won like 65 games last year is a horrible misuse of resources every way, in every way, shape, and form. But... But, if you, but if you combine that with, I think, enough other supplementary moves, again, if you're interested in like the Solaire, Teoscar, Gary Sanchez, you know, Mitch Virginia, just low up on power back as much as you can, where you can, um, you know, because I... I you know, again, Bellinger is wasted in a corner, um, and I don't know you want to plug him back at first base, given you already got Chris Bryant to work with. Uh, similarly with Matt Chapman, you know, you've got Ryan McMahon at third base. And granted, if I could, I would just make those two guys vanish off the roster and replace them. But if it's not really possible for you to go after the top end of the market, you might as well load up on as many mid-tier hitters as you can on reasonable, like, two, three short ter- two or three-year short-term deals. Spend the money on the kind of elite pitching you need in order to succeed, especially when you consider, too, Half the games for Colorado plays have to be out of cores. So having good pitching outside mm. of cores also would be very useful. You know, and a guy like Hader, who who has the kind of big-time strikeout stuff you need uh, for that to work, I think would be, again, not the greatest use of resources, but if I'm only going to get one big splash, that might be the one I target. Um, and then you just kind of load up, Try I think try to load up too on those more veteran uh, pitching options who can give you innings more than anything. Like, a guy like Stroman who can give you six on the regular, or a guy like uh, maybe Seth Lugo. Although I can't, I can't remember if he's a fly ball or ground ball pitcher. So he might either be a great fit or a horrible fit. But it, it's it's just the, the thing that's tough about the Rockies is just trying to build around cores, so to speak, and just having to kind of mold your entire philosophy to the whims of a ballpark. Hmm. But I think what Colorado chooses to do instead, which is to say nothing, uh, it, it benefits no one. It, it puts the team in a position where there's just, like you said, this is already the worst team in the NL West, and there's not any real debate on that one. Mm. Um, it, you know, it, it lowers the possibility of, you know, of, of any, of doing any better, of taking advantage of something going, of, you know, teams falling apart. You put yourself, you put yourself in a no-win spot, which is right from the get-go. To say nothing of, you then bring up young players into an environment that's already bad, where they're already being pressured, essentially, to do too much. Mm. Instead of having a system in place where it's, hey, we've got these guys who can who can do the, the heavy lifting. Now we bring the kids up to see if we can catch some light, lightning in a bottle, so to speak. But I don't know. I I, I feel like you've, I, I, was, I kind of like that for this exercise. You just started with the single most difficult team right off the bat, mm. um, non-Oakland A's division. So but I, I think, I don't know. I mean, what, what, what would you do if you if, if someone gave you this absolute mess of a roster to try to figure out? Look, besides God. resign, obviously. <laughs> you know what's funny? I I just look at this and I'm like, 
Look, when would you guess was the last time the Rockies won more than 80 games or more than 85 or let's do more than 87 games, John? Ooh, I really should know this. Um, 2016. Very close. 2018. They okay. won 91. I, I was going to say, I know there was one year randomly in there in the last decade where they just like ripped off an 85 plus win season. And I think it was the year Kyle Freeland was really good. It might yeah. have been the last like Troy Tulowitzki season. I can't, or was he already on the Blue Jays by that point? I think he was um, on the Blue Jays at that point. But he, it was like Cargo was there. Okay, so yeah, that 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 felt right to me. It was somewhere in that kind of back half of the 2010s. But yeah, it, it's been a while since the Rockies have been relevant. But you go through it, and then it's another 10 years: 92 mm-hmm. wins in 09. Yes. And then 07, you get 90, and mm-hmm. then it's just awful. Look, this, the I rest mean, of the time I've been alive, John. So this it's like not this been is just part of the deal. Yeah, it has not been a competently run team for no. any extended stretch. It's been a poorly run team with intermittent bursts of success based on either all the young talent coalescing in one space at once by both design and happenstance, all of the Royals in 2015, or you just randomly go like 25 and two in the month of in the months of September and October, like the 07 Rockies did. You just you just mm-hmm. go pull this year's Diamondbacks. Um, but yeah, there's, also, there's, there's they very... should just have one of the best farm systems in baseball, and they just don't. Well, no, because this no. is just like I said, it's not a competently run team. It's no. not a team with a plan. The player development there is terrible. Yep. And again, I acknowledge for the three Rockies fans listening to this that. <laughs> This is the hardest job in Major League Baseball, is making mm. a team function that has to play half its games at altitude. It's yeah. insane how difficult that is to do. Um, but that doesn't excuse the fact that it's been 30 years now of Rockies baseball in, in Denver, mm. and there has been no point in that stretch in time where it's looked like this team had any real clue what it was doing. Again, except for those aforementioned, like, little... that the They have the oases, oases in the desert. You know, mm-hmm. those, those little, yeah, did you say hamlets? That's a that's blips. A yeah. Blips. I like that too. These little mm-hmm. blips amidst long, fallow stretches. So, mm-hmm. and again, what is, and you know, not again, but, and what is the constant there? Ownership. Mm-hmm. It is ownership. It is the Monfort family. It's, you know, when I've said before that's like, you know, bad teams stay bad teams if they have bad owners. You know, there's just no way around a bad owner. You cannot do anything about it. You know, that's why. You know, that's why I remain so down on the Pirates. That's why, you know, I remain so down on whatever's going on with the A's. That's why I remain down on the Rockies. You know, there's just nothing you can do about it unless those, and and, what, and particularly, and I can't believe that this is only the first time we're mentioning them, given that we spent like 20 minutes talking about Otani, the Los Angeles Angels, who mm-hmm. I, I love that they seem to have no plan in place. Like, they just didn't seem to have any interest in trying to retain, retain Shohei Otani, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it did seem at points like he was actually considering staying. Yeah. Like all the all they would have really had to do is be like, hey, we're you know essentially, we can we'll do better. We promise we will do better. And so they're just like, you know what? It's just not it's not worth the effort. No. We, we'd rather just go back to to signing Hunter Renfro if if we can do that. And then well, they didn't even do that. We'd we'd rather just we'd rather just be the weirdos who just sign middle relievers all off season. Well, I will say the one thing that precluded them from doing that is there's no way Artie Moreno signs off on that kind of contract. Well, and, and that's a, the thing, yeah. like because he's a terrible owner. He's yeah. a terrible owner who does not know how to make the best of the situation he's got or how to leverage effectively the money he has in whatever in whatever degree he to whatever degree he has it. Um, yes, it, they're, they're just it, the Rockies are the same. It's a poorly it's a team owned by people who don't know what they're doing, 
who think they know what they're doing, which is the most toxic combination possible. <laughs> and until and unless that changes, nothing else will in Colorado. No. Um, I love this headline from Purple Row. Affected by altitude, all I want for Christmas is the Rockies to do something. That's pretty much it. I mean, that's the thing. And, and it's, again, a the, the moves fan, I'm man. talking about, aside from Hater, are not big moves. Again, no. it's like Jorge Soler, Teoscar Hernandez. These are not, this is not nine-year deals for at $150 million a piece. Soler might get like a two-year, $24 million deal. That's yeah. it. That that's not a lot. The Rockies don't don't have a particularly big payroll either. But again, they just choose to spend their money stupidly too. I mean, they they locked up Ryan McMahon for no reason, and now it comes a winter where they could easily go get Matt Chapman, who would be a perfect fit in Colorado for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. But they can't do it because instead they're playing they're paying Ryan McMahon to to do what he does, which is to say be a two war player for the rest of eternity. It's it, it, it's just not a smart team. It, it is not a it, it it's they just do they do things for whatever reason they do them, and then you're just constantly trying like in trying to decide what you want to do with this roster to make it better. You have to be like, okay, well, first I have to undo like nine or ten different things that the previous GM did or the mm-hmm. ownership essentially pushed them into doing. Then I can start like building on it. It's one of those situations where it's like you buy a house where it's like, oh, it's a fixer upper. It's like no, it, it is just it's rotten in the foundation. The best mm-hmm. thing to do is just tear it down and completely start over. But again, for the three Rockies fans listening, I'm sorry. Like this, just this team is just—it's not even just a team because you know it's not really fair to the guys on the field. Like they're just trying—they're all trying their best. It's just a brain dead organization, you know, when it comes to when it comes to putting it together. Go Rockies, man. Go Rockies. Um, final thing here on tonight's show, John. The most interesting free agent name still available that you've been thinking about that you're fascinated to see where they end up is who? I think Bellinger Hmm. in part because he's like, he's just a fascinating free agent to me. You're either getting an MVP or a dude where you're getting Jason Hayward Mm 2.0, you know, it's one or the other. I think Snell similarly on the pitching side, where you like, you know, I, I wrote his player comment for this year's or uh, for the, uh, next year's upcoming BP annual. And, you know, if you're the GM who decides to sign Blake Snell, every night you go to bed, you're just going to be going with a horrible stomach ache. Yeah. Because it's going to cost you $200 million to sign him. And he might walk like, he might have a walk rate over four next year. Like it is a razor's guys like him and Bellinger, where it's the razor's edge. It feels like between either Cy Young and MVP or the least productive dude on your roster. It just feels so thin at times with those two, and mm-hmm. it has been the case with Bellinger and Snell both. But um, Snell, I think, although to be fair to Snell, a lot of that has also been injury, so that you know it's not necessarily his fault. Um, so though, wherever those two end up, I think will fascinate me. I think similarly, or not similar. I think in another, the other direction. I think Hater, just because again, it, it's it's we it's not weird, but uh, you know, every it feels like every offseason gets its designated like this is the best closer available. But this mm. dude might legit be the best closer in baseball. You know, th- this this man is outstanding at what he does. He will make whatever bullpen signs him immediately, noticeably, markedly better. And. For that, too, given that that, you know, that group is going to be self-selective in terms of, well, that's going to be teams that are contending or trying to contend. You know, he's, he might be a difference-making piece 
for whatever team gets them. And I think, like I said, with you know the Reds, um, I know they've already got, again got uh, not sorry not Rice Iglesias is what I said before. Um, Alexis Diaz. I don't know mm. why Rice Iglesias. I traveled back in time like three years. I know they've already got um, Alexis Diaz. Maybe not the best necessarily fit for Hater, but I think a team on that kind of cusp, you know, a team that mm. feels like it's in that uh, eighty-two to eighty-nine win window. You know, where a guy having a guy like Hater, you know, worth two wins basically by himself, two or three wins, might be able to push you forward slash over the top. You know, I, I think, you know, Chicago, if you know the Cubs better said, you know, if they are working on Bellinger, I can also see them being a being a, a big team in on Hater. I'm surprised that Baltimore, especially given that Hater's from Maryland, uh, went with Kimbrell instead. Again, a team that doesn't really seem to know how to prioritize the or not prioritize necessarily but, but figure out how to win now and win later it all just seems pushed toward win later and add guys who are cheap if we can now but I, again the orioles are a whole other problem to try to figure out um i think i know arizona's got paul seawald but i would love to see the diamondbacks add hater to and give some more depth to that bullpen uh, i mentioned the phillies is a good fit i think that just makes so much sense for them to have a lockdown closer uh, to make, in particular, the ninth inning in the postseason that much easier for them, because I think it feels pretty safe to assume they're a postseason team. Um, you know, there there are a lot of possibilities. I think that makes sense for Hader, and like I said, I think that is a guy who, when he signs, makes a material difference for a contending team to the effect that they go from, again, depending on the team, it might go from, oh, maybe this team contends. No, this team feels like a legitimate contender now. Mm. Um, I think, you know, they're they're. A good handful of teams that that that, that could be the case for. I, I feel like you know, be the ultimate chaos move is is the Braves signing Hater and just saying screw it, it's all bullpen. Oops, all oops, all relievers. You know that that's their plan. I don't want that. No, it's they're they're not going to do it. It, it. it makes it doesn't make sense ultimately. Oh, the other team that I should have mentioned in, in Hater that makes a ton a ton of sense for them, Texas. Yeah, the Rangers feel like a very very likely uh, Hater destination given the fact that they effectively have no bullpen. Which, granted, did not stop them would from you say, the World Series, but... Would you say it's effectively wild? That's a different show, though. I mean, that shout out good. Effectively Wild. Okay. We love Effectively Wild. Mm. We love Effectively Wild, don't we, folks? We, we, we love Effectively Wild. Even if a guy like Michael Bauman pops in, the South Carolina Gamecock himself. The South misguided. Carolina Gamecock. But we'll get him there. I, I actually call him misguided because, you know, for, for, the, for the sin of loving where he went to school. Misguided, John. We can't all be Tennessee volunteers. No, but you are. You, you, were, you caught the fever two months ago, John. Like an actual fever? No, you caught the orange fever, the big oh, orange fever. It's the, it's the fever. one good kind of fever to catch. The lone positive fever. I, I given where Tennessee's season ended up, and I don't actually know where Tennessee's season. Hey, John, ended. what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com this week? I genuinely actually have no. I, you know I me, mean, which I'm sure you know. I do. I am not a college baseball or college baseball, college football fan. But how did Tennessee's season genuinely end up? I, I are they in a bowl? Are they going? We to are a bowl? January first. Which bowl? Uh, citra or cheese it bowl. Cheese the cheese it bowl. Yeah, you get cheese its. Cheese does the cooler that they dump on the coach full of cheese its. It's a good question. I feel like it. I, feel I like think it, it might be because they dump mayo for the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Well, I saw um, that they, some some coffee company sponsored a bowl where the they dumped cold brew on the coach. I was gonna say you gotta be careful. You can't be doing hot cup now. That's a <laughs> no. That, that, that seems like, like assault. Um, if you go hot coffee, coffee on him and mm-hmm. then a little bit of milk. Um, wait, so who's Tennessee gonna play in the Cheez It Bowl? Iowa. 
Iowa. Oh God, that's awful. I'm so sorry that you have to sit through two and a half hours of 15 to 10 football. It's not great. And then you have uh, the, the playoff games uh, right after. So yeah, a, a, a glimpse at what could have been. All right. One last, one last question. Where is the cheese it bowl? Uh, Orlando. Tampa? What is it? Tampa? I think it's Ch- Tampa. I'm not going. They're all together. Cheese bowl. Well, I, mean, look, I, I, I can't imagine there's any point in going to a bowl unless Orlando. Either, I was right the first time. Yeah. Unless it's either like a trip you can make in less than an hour and the tickets are cheap and you don't have anything else to do, or it's something like you end up at the Bahamas Bowl and mm-hmm. you're like, hell yeah, I'm gonna go to the Bahamas if my team is gonna be playing there. That sounds cool. Or yeah. if it's a or if it's a, a major bowl or a playoff game. But no, I. I, I, which is also something I wonder about with bowls, and I know that there are far fewer of them now than there used to be, um, or it feels like it at least. But how do they make money slash continue to exist when I imagine the great majority of the fan base for most of these bowls goes, no, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to travel to go see that. Mm. I mean, we're going to see it. There's going to be more changes over the next couple of years with the expanded playoff going to 12 next year. I was going to say, like, how much longer is college football going to have more than, like, a dozen bowls? I don't know. It changes every year, John. Well, because it also feels like to me, like, I, you know, as someone who, who, you know, when I worked at Sports Illustrated, particularly I worked on a, a just general editorial, you know, I had to know what was going on. So I at least had to know the names of bowls and have a rough idea of, like, when the bowl season was. Mm. But, like, it feels like the naming rights for those now change pretty much every six months that no one actually wants to spend money sponsoring a bowl and no one wants to host a bowl and no one actually wants like the number of teams and also player and the players I especially get, but the teams are just straight up like, please don't invite us to a bowl. We have no interest in being in playing in a bowl. Like leave us alone. We're, we don't care. It's like, it feels like, I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's a kind of, I guess a similar stratification to in college basketball. It's like the teams that make the NCAA tournament, and then you have the NIT and the CBI and the, you know, a handful of those teams are going, no, we don't want to go to the fricking CI CBI leave us alone. Mm-hmm. And also it just always feels like the CBI feels like it's one year away from getting canceled. Like the golden globes or the CMA awards where it's just like, how much longer are they really going to do this? I don't know. I, is, has it been good listening to me and just kind of talk obliviously about stuff I don't know about for the last few minutes in terms of college sports, but that, you know, just as the general view from outside here. No, I mean, that's fine. Like, I think it's fair, John. Like, it's, uh, I, I just don't have a strong take on this because it's like, I just think it's gonna, it's still just changing so rapidly and we'll see what the 12 team playoff does. But I mean, a lot of opt outs, the college football calendar is broken. Um, the portal has changed a lot of how bowl season works and a lot of guys have to opt out because they have to get to their next stop. Oh, yeah. So you're just, with the, the rosters are very thin. Like, Texas's backup QB is in the portal and he had to, he didn't want to go. But because yeah. he had to find a new team, the new semester starts in January. And the first playoff That's game cool. is January 1st. So it's like, you have to be out of there. So it's just like, a none of it makes sense. It's all, it's it's a mess, John. Yeah. RIP college football as we grew up with it back in the day. RIP, John Taylor. I never thought we would end a podcast talking uh, RIP college football, um, as we remembered it at least. John Taylor, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com this week? So we have begun publishing our top prospect lists for 2024. We've already got two of them on the books, the Yankees and the Blue Jays. Yankees came out earlier this week. Uh, Highly recommend checking those out if you're a fan, keeping an eye out for the rest as Eric Longenhagen puts them together over the course of the next few months. Uh, Jay Jaffe continues his Hall of Fame Jaws ballot series. We had uh, David Wright today. I think that's going to be the last major profile on his docket. 
Um, he's going to, I think, going to start rounding up some of the lesser guys on the ballot as we get closer and closer to the uh, mail, the voting deadline, I think, which is the very end of, uh, I think it's December 31st or something like that. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get caught up on the Hall of Fame stuff, not the discourse, Jay doesn't do the discourse, but just on the candidates, uh, what their odds are, where they stand on the ballot, check out Jay's series. In particular, I highly recommend the ones he's written for this year's um, n- debuts in particular. Uh, Joe Maurer and Chase Utley, I think, are really good examinations of both their candidacies and some of the kind of larger Hall of Fame picture with regards to both uh, the state of catchers in the Hall of Fame and also with regards to Utley, those kind of shorter career, higher peak guys I think we're going to be seeing a lot more and more of in future Hall of Fame ballots. Uh, And in terms of other ongoing series, Dan Zimborski's 2024 Zips projections, I believe we're pretty much at the halfway point. We've got... I'm just doing some quick math now. 7, 10, 14 teams down. Sorry, I missed one. Yeah, we're at the halfway mark. 15 teams down. 15 teams down. Say that 10 times fast. 15 to go. Cleveland will be the next team up uh, on Thursday morning. If you're listening to this, Thursday the 21st, we'll have the Cleveland Guardians zips projection out. Uh, So keep an eye out for those as they come out. Otherwise, we're on Yamamoto Watch like everybody else. Once he signs, we'll have our full take on what it means for both him and the team that landed him. Otherwise, we're covering all the signings as they happen, all the major trades, uh, looking at other stuff too. So come on over to Fangraphs, become a member, $10 a month, $5 a year, or $10 a month, $60 a year for ad-free browsing, and you get other perks as well. Uh, and I also just want to say, this is now, I uh, for folks listening who don't know, and I don't know how you would, this is my last week working at Fangraphs. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving Fangraphs to take a job outside of baseball media, um, but I'm still going to be repping Fangraphs everywhere I go. They're a phenomenal website, phenomenal writers. And, you know, I, I make the I make the joke or not the joke really. I make the 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 call every week to go subscribe, but please go subscribe. They're you know, they're, your support helps keep Fangraphs running. Your support literally paid my paycheck. I think like a, a certain small percentage probably. You help pay for me to get beer. So thank you for that. If you're a Fangraph subscriber listening to this, thank you for the beer. Mm. Um, and like I said, I'm going to keep repping Fangraphs as I go. It's been a really fun time working with them. They're they're a great, a great group of writers and, and editors and staff. So keep supporting them. Go sign up, be a member for Fangraphs. It's baseball's good baseball website. There you go. Fangraphs forever. John Taylor, Fangraphs always forever. a pleasure. And I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. 
seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.